Bibles to Acts chapter 4, to that passage that Sam read for us. Acts chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. We actually looked at these verses last Sunday, if you'll remember, and we, we focused on the, the boldness of the apostles and the, and the cowardice of the authorities. But there is a, another issue here, and that's the issue that, that Sam was talking about with the kids. It's the, the issue, the, the question of civil disobedience. We see it there in the apostles' response to the council's command. We have the council's command there in verse 18. The council commands the apostles not to speak or to teach at all in the name of of Jesus. After conferring with themselves and trying to figure out what are we going to do, Leo? Everybody can see that this man has been healed, but we don't want this message spreading. How can we stop it? Well, I know what we'll do, the council says. We'll, we'll just command them to be quiet. We'll command them to, to stop preaching. And that's exactly what they do. They call the apostles back in and they command them no longer to preach or to teach in the name of Jesus. And it is to that command that the apostles are responding in verse 19 and 20. Luke writes, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So you notice that the, the apostles are generally polite. They, they don't use any profane language. They don't use any derogatory names. But, but in no uncertain terms do they tell the council that they have no intention of obeying their injunction. They say that they cannot but speak of what they know to be the truth. They, they cannot but tell people about Jesus. They must proclaim what they have seen and heard. And not only do they tell the council that they are not going to obey them, but they actually challenge the council to acknowledge that they are right to refuse. They say, you must judge whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God. Now that might sound at first as if, as if the apostles think the, the judgment is up in the air, that it is debatable, but, but that's not at all what they are saying. The, the statement actually has the effect of a rhetorical question. They are directly challenging the council to admit what they know, what the apostles know, the council knows. That the council's charge is itself unrighteous. And that therefore, to obey the council would be unrighteous. To obey the council would be to disobey God. The apostles know it, and the apostles know that the council know it, knows it, and they are challenging them to admit it. But it is this response, this, this response of the apostles as they, as they say to the council, we cannot obey you, for we must obey God. It is, it is this response that raises the issue of what we sometimes call civil disobedience. What is or, or what ought to be the, the Christian's relationship to the civil authorities? When must the Christian obey when may the Christian disobey, or even when must the Christian disobey? That's the question that we are going to be wrestling with 
this morning. And I think it's wise for us to, to take this excursus. It's wise for us to, to, to set aside a Sunday to address this question because the question of civil disobedience has been raised with fresh urgency over the course of the last year. When I was in school, when I was discussing these things in a, in a classroom setting, discussions of civil disobedience usually revolved around hypothetical situations out of Nazi Germany or, or communist China or, or maybe some uh, Islamic terrorist group in Africa or the, or the Middle East. You know, if someone comes to you and holds their gun to your head and tells you to deny Jesus, what are you going to do? You've probably been involved in those types of hypothetical discussions. But wherever the, the hypothetical was derived from, it was, it was always just that. It was a hypothetical. It was a, a situation that we probably weren't likely to face in our actual lives. Well, for many Christians in the United States, that, that changed this last year. Whether related to restrictions on the size of public gatherings or, or mandates regarding masks, in this last year, many Christians found themselves asking in a, in a, in a new way, with a, with a fresh urgency, what their moral obligation was to the state. And so I think it's good for us to consider how the scriptures answer that question. Now let me say up front, and I want you to listen carefully, I want to, I want to be very clear here. I am not going to answer any specific question. I'm not, not going to give you the definitive Christian answer to, to any or to all of the questions that Christians have faced this last year, whether, whether related to the pandemic or anything else. I couldn't do that if I wanted to. I couldn't give you the definitive Christian answer because we are seeking to apply... God's word to specific situations, that it always requires wisdom, and there's, there's always some measure of disagreement, even among sincere believers. And so I'm not trying to tell you precisely what the answer is, that this is the Christian answer, and anybody who disagrees with me is wrong. That's not what I am saying, and I want you to hear that that's not what I am saying. Rather, what I'm trying to do this morning is, is simply review and, and to, to meditate upon the biblical principles by which a Christian ought to answer such questions? What are the principles that, that guide us? How do we know? How does, how does Scripture instruct us to address and to, to seek to answer the questions that we will inevitably face as we seek to live as disciples of Jesus Christ in a foreign land? That's the question that we're wrestling with this morning. And so let's, let's begin with the first principle. The first principle that, that must guide us as we seek to define our moral duty to the civil authorities is the Christian's moral obligation to obey the civil authorities by default. The Christian's default response to the civil government's lawful commands is to be obedience. So that is, unless there are reasons that necessitate disobedience, a Christian ought to obey the lawful commands of civil authority. So if you're listening, you know there are two caveats already in that statement. <laughs> All right, There are two caveats. The first, as I said, that we are to obey the lawful commands of 
the civil authorities. And I, and I use that term lawful commands intentionally because there are times, especially in a constitutional democracy such as the United States, when government does things it has no right to do. When government does things that it's actually prohibited from doing by its own laws. And so, for example, our federal government has no legal right to make any law that, violate or, that violates or encumbers the freedoms set forth in our Bill of Rights. All right? So, so, so that is a, a law that is set forth by the civil authorities themselves. And so the principle that even the government is under the law means that they can't just do whatever they want in the United States. And so if the government tries to make laws that are unlawful, citizens may properly challenge the legality of such laws. That is not what I am talking about this morning. That's the last time I'm going to mention it. All right? that, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about that situation, because in that situation, you're not really disobeying the government. You are challenging the legality of a law. We're talking about something else this morning. We're talking about situations where the the government has issued commands that we may or may not like, but that are nonetheless lawful. And what I'm saying to you is that as Christians, we have an obligation to obey those laws. We have an obligation to to obey the mandates and the injunctions of the civil authorities so long as there are not reasons that necessitate disobedience. Our default response as Christians is to obey the government. Now, Now, we'll come back to the reasons why we might need to disobey in just a minute, but we have to get that principle established first. And that that principle comes directly out of the Scriptures. We we see it most clearly in Romans chapter 13. Turn there with me. Romans chapter 13. So here Paul is, this is the the second half of Paul's letter to the Romans. He he is delineating the implications of the gospel that he set forth in the, the first 11 chapters. He's unpacking what it means for us as Christians to offer ourselves and our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord. And under that heading of what it means to honor God with our bodies, he says in chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And I'm sure you've heard it before, but, you know, Rome wasn't always the nicest government. Nero was the emperor probably at this point. But there it is. There's the principle that that Paul sets forth. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. In other words, the Christian's default response is to be obedience. And Paul tells us why. He gives us a reason. He, He continues, For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So so why should Christians obey the governing authorities? Why is our default response obedience? Because whatever governing authorities exist have been instituted by God. That is merely an extension of our belief in God's absolute sovereignty. God is the, the maker of heaven and earth who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Therefore, if there are governing authorities in place, he is sovereign over them and he has established them. And therefore, their authority 
derives from his authority. The authority of the the government does not derive from the consent of the governed, whatever you might have learned in a civics class. The right of the governing authorities to govern is given to them by God. The, The right of the authorities to govern derives from God's authority. And therefore, Paul says, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed. And so that's the the general principle. That's our our starting point. When we are thinking about our moral responsibility to the civil authorities, we begin here, we begin with the Christian's default responsibility to obey. In other words, the, the Christian's obedience to the civil authorities is an expression of their obedience to God. We obey the civil authorities because we obey God. So, for example, long before the current pandemic, the civil authorities were were telling us how many people we could have in this room for worship. Long before the pandemic, they were were telling us how many chairs we could set up, and they were were telling us how many exits we needed, and how many fire extinguishers had to be immediately available, and and how wide the aisles had to be, and how far the first row had to be from the stage. They, They have rules for all of that. And we obeyed those rules, not because we thought they were wise, not because we thought they were good. Sometimes I thought they were rather silly. But nevertheless... We sought to obey those rules as an expression of our obedience to God. We obeyed out of deference to the one who established the authorities. But even though we have that principle firmly in mind, even though we understand that our default response to the authorities is to be obedient, that does not mean that the civil government has absolute authority. Yes, our default response is to be obedience, but as I said, there may be reasons that require us to disobey. And that is our second principle. Christians must disobey. All right? We said that Christians' default response is to be obedient, but Christians must disobey. It's not optional. We must disobey when obedience to the civil authorities entails disobedience to God. If obeying the civil authorities means disobeying God, then Christians must disobey. We see this principle in Acts 4. It's what the apostles are are getting at in their response to the the command. As I said, they, they are saying to the council, listen, you understand that it's not right for us to obey you rather than God. That's not a question. That is a statement. They aren't suggesting that that, that the the situation is ambiguous. They are are saying uh, directly to the council, you understand and you must admit that we cannot obey you when you command us to disobey God. And what is implied here in in the form of of a rhetorical statement is actually explicitly stated in the next chapter. In in Acts chapter 5, the apostles are going to be arrested again. And they are again going to be brought before the council, and the council is going to be a little hot. 
The high priest is going to say to them, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. In response to, to this second accusation, Peter will say on behalf of the apostles, we must obey God rather than men. When the choice is between obeying God and obeying men, the Christian must always choose to obey God. It's a, it's a principle that is, that is rooted in the, the entirety of Scripture. It's something we see in the, the Old Testament again and again. We, we see it first in Exodus. In Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh ordered the Hebrew midwives to kill every son born into an Israelite family. But we are told that the Hebrew midwives feared God. And because they feared God, they did not do what the king ordered them to do. Because they feared God, they disobeyed the explicit command of the Pharaoh, and God blessed them for their faithfulness. We see the same thing in Daniel chapter 3, you remember the story, Nebuchadnezzar, the, the king of Babylon, sets up this, this golden statue and he commands all in the city to, to bow down and worship it when they hear the horn blow. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, men uh, like Daniel who had been brought from Israel, men who feared the one true God, they refused. When the horn blew, they remained Standing. They knew that their God said, you shall have no other gods before me. And therefore they knew that obeying the king's command would mean disobeying God. And therefore they refused to obey the king's command, even though it put their lives in danger. Even though they knew that they would be cast into the fiery furnace. We see something similar in Daniel chapter 6. This time the king is, is Darius. And at the prompting of some of his officials, he issues a decree that says for 30 days no one is to pray to anyone other than him. Now when you read the story, you actually find out that these officials, that they came up with this decree in order to trap Daniel. They didn't like him very much. They didn't like that he had the favor of the king. They were trying to get rid of him, and they knew the best way to get rid of him was to have Darius issue a decree that violated the law of God. It says that explicitly in the text, because they knew that if Daniel had the choice between obeying God and obeying Darius, he was going to obey God every time, and that's exactly what happened. They issued the decree, you can't pray to anyone, and Daniel goes right on praying to the one true God, three times a day. And as a result, he is arrested and he is cast into the lion's den. Now you know that God protected him, just as he had earlier protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the point is that as a believer in the one true God, he was compelled to disobey the king's decree because to obey it would have meant to disobey God. And that's the principle that we see throughout the scriptures. It's the principle that the apostles are, are acting on in Acts chapter 4 and 5. We, we, we have the principle, yes, that, that the Christian's default response is to be obedience. But we also have this second principle that says, but when obedience 
To the civil authorities means disobedience to God. Obedience to God wins every time. So those are the the principles. But while these principles are, are fairly easy to articulate, they are not always easy to apply. Especially given our own sinful bent towards wanting to to justify the the least painful course of action. (laughs) You see, when obedience to the state is costly or uncomfortable, when it's like carrying the the soldier's load for, for a mile, we, in our sinfulness, want to justify disobedience. In our sinfulness, we want to say, well, I don't have to obey such a silly command. And so when obedience to a command is is painful or uncomfortable, we want to justify disobedience. And actually, the reverse is true as well. When it's going to be costly to disobey, there's something in our sinful nature that wants to justify or rationalize obedience. Because in our sinfulness, we want to avoid pain. In our our sinfulness, we we want to take the the, the course of, of least resistance. But when we are committed to obeying God, regardless of the costs, when we are committed to obeying God, either by obedience or by disobedience to the civil authorities, discerning what obedience to God looks like in a given situation isn't always easy. We may, we may say, yes, I'm going I'm to obey God rather than men. I'm going to obey God whether by obedience or disobedience. And we still might not be clear about exactly what is required of us. We, we saw this this past year. Sort of the, the classic example that's been percolating in the, in the press is the example of the, the civil government's limits on the size of public gatherings. When those public gatherings include worship so that, so that churches are hindering from gathered together, Christians are unclear as to what exactly is required of them. Should they obey or should they disobey? Now, now thankfully, we haven't actually had to face that choice here in Tennessee. Our governor has, has been extremely gracious to allow churches to make those decisions for themselves. They, they give guidelines, but they have not imposed restrictions upon churches here in Tennessee. But in other parts of the country and in other parts of the world, many Christians have been forced to make that choice. So what should Christians do in such a situation? Well, as I said earlier, I'm not going to give you the definitive answer. I'm not going to even try But I want us together to to think through how we seek to answer that question. Given the principles that we have set forth, how do we go about trying to discern what it is that God would have us to do? Given that obedience is to be the Christian's default response, and and given that disobedience is, is mandated when obedience requires disobedience to God, what do we do when the civil authorities tell us That only 10 or 15 or 25 people can gather at a time. What we have to do is we we have to determine whether or not obedience entails disobedience. Does obedience to the command entail disobedience to God? That's that's clearly the case here in Acts chapter 4. 
The, the council was, was forbidding the apostles to preach Christ, which they had been explicitly commissioned by Jesus to do. Remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, Jesus says to the apostles, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so for the apostles... Obedience to the council's command clearly, unambiguously, entailed disobedience to God. And the same was true for the Hebrew midwives, and for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and for for Daniel. In each case, obedience to the civil authorities clearly entailed disobedience to God. And so in each case, disobedience to the civil authorities was clearly required. But is that the case? When civil authorities limit the size of of public gatherings, some Christians, some sincere, godly Christians have said yes. Corporate worship is commanded. The believers are commanded not to neglect gathering together. And if the state sets up rules and injunctions that prohibit Christians from gathering together, then they are preventing Christians from obeying God's word. And therefore... Many Christians have said that that Christians ought to disobey such restrictions. Just this morning I read about a pastor in Canada who is currently in jail because his church has continued to meet. And I've read similar stories, maybe not jail time yet, but similar stories about pastors in other states. But other Christians, sincere, godly Christians, disagree Not because they deny that Christians are commanded to gather together, but because they do not believe that executive orders limiting the size of public gatherings are the same as a prohibition on corporate worship. One author puts it this way. He says, we need to be careful in understanding the legislation. As Christians, we must be concerned about the truth. For instance, I have heard over and over again that the Kansas governor, so he's writing from Kansas, that the Kansas governor has forbidden Christian worship. Actually, the governor has only restricted the number of people who can be present in a public facility. And that's an important distinction. In Kansas, we're not being prohibited from preaching the gospel, reading the Bible, praying together, or singing. We're not even being prohibited from having a public worship service. We are only restricted in how many can be present in our church building. I admit that limiting makes for a pastoral head and heartache, since our whole congregation cannot legally gather in one place. But my point is simply that those who serve the truth, we need to avoid sensational and misleading narratives. In other words, this particular author doesn't believe the governor is requiring disobedience to God. He he is simply limiting the number of people who can gather at any one time or at any one place. And as I said earlier, the the civil authorities have actually been doing that for a long time. for, For as long as I've been here, there's been a restriction on the number of people who could be in this building for worship at any one time. It's just that that restriction is now much smaller than it used to be. And so this particular author doesn't believe that he's being required to disobey God, and so his church isn't meeting. Now to be clear, I'm not saying this author's right. I'm not not saying that that he's right and the other is, is wrong. I'm just trying to point out that answering the question isn't easy. The right application of even simple principles can be 
complicated, and sincere Christians can disagree. If we were being commanded not to preach or teach at all the name of Jesus, then what would be required of us would be obvious. But things are not always so clear. But if the question is complicated, why wrestle with it? If if there's not an easy way to answer it, why why are we bothering? If, if, If good Christians can disagree... Why put in the effort in the first place? And I want to suggest to you that that even though it is difficult to answer these questions, and even though even some of us might disagree with each other about what the appropriate response is, it is actually vital for us to wrestle with the question. It's vital that we seek to answer it, even if answering it is difficult. We must do our best to to answer this question because our obedience and our disobedience, whichever conclusion we reach, must bring glory to God. As I said earlier, we obey because we obey God, and we disobey because we obey God. Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So, So no matter what road we pick, Our obedience or our disobedience is meant to be a demonstration of our ultimate belief in God's authority. Our ultimate belief that the state's authority is derived from and and subservient to our true king, the king of kings and the, the lord of lords. Therefore, when we disobey the state without biblical warrant, we dishonor God. If we disobey the state when when we don't have a a biblical warrant to do so, we are leaning on our own understanding. We are are prioritizing our own preferences. We are doing what is right in our own eyes. And to walk in that way is to dishonor our true king. Conversely, when we submit to the state even when we don't agree with or or care for their rules or regulations, it honors God by expressing our trust in Him. When we submit to the civil authorities, even when we don't like their rules, we are testifying that our lives do not consist in having things our way, but rather our lives consist in knowing and serving the one true King. But of course there's the other side as well. When we obey the state when we shouldn't, we we dishonor God. When we obey the state because it makes our lives easier, even though what they are requiring violates God's word and God's mandate for our lives, we are again fearing man rather than God. When we obey the state when we shouldn't, we, we are living out of a fear that brings dishonor to our true king, disobeying the state. Whenever the state requires disobedience to God, testifies that our lives do not consist in having temporal peace and protection. It would have been a lot easier for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just to bow down rather than to get cast into the fiery furnace. It would have been a lot easier for Daniel just to to, to not pray than it would have been for him to be cast into the lion's den. And so when we obey when we shouldn't, we we dishonor God. And so what you see is that this, this issue matters because it's the glory of our King that is at stake. Will our lives proclaim the glory of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, or will our lives be, be shaped by some other concerns, 
some other fear other than the fear of the Lord. And so even though we we may struggle to find an answer, we find the boldness to seek that answer, again, in the example of the apostles. Remember what what it was that that undergirded and sustained the apostles' boldness. We, We saw it last Sunday. We saw that their boldness was rooted in their discipleship. They were bold because they had been with Jesus. They had been with the one who had died and who had risen again victorious over death. They were bold because through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, they had been set free from the fear of death. Through his resurrection, they had been born again to a a living hope, and so that therefore they no longer feared man, and the fear of man no longer controlled them. They were now free to honor God and to, to obey him. Whether that meant difficulty by submitting to burdensome commands from the civil authorities or whether that meant submitting to punishment because they had to disobey the civil authorities. Ultimately, their trust was in their king and they were able to stand firm without the fear of man because they had been with Jesus. They could obey when they didn't, disagree, when they didn't agree with the, the commands and they could disobey when they needed to. Because their king was the risen Lord. And wherever we come down on the specifics to these questions, that is where we must end up. We must ask ourselves whether we have the faith to obey when we should and the faith to disobey when we should because we know the risen king. We know that our ultimate good is secure in Him. We know that we can entrust ourselves to Him, no matter what, no matter the cost, whether of obedience or of of disobedience. We can follow Him without fear because He has conquered death and He has qualified us for an inheritance in His eternal kingdom. As I've said all along, it's not always easy to know exactly what we ought to do. And that's why we need to be in conversation with one another. It's why we we need to be iron sharpening iron. It's why we need to be wrestling with these these questions together. But regardless of the difficulties in, in landing on a single answer, we can always know why we ought to do one thing rather than another. We obey and we disobey for the same reason. We obey and we disobey because God is God and Jesus is Lord. We obey and we disobey, not because the law does or does not make sense or or is or isn't convenient. We obey and we disobey Because we serve the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And because our God is King, and because our Jesus is Lord, we are free from the fear of man, we are free from the fear of death, we are free to obey or disobey as His will requires, regardless of the temporal circumstances. Because we know that our good is ultimately secure in him. And because we have a king who has conquered death for us, because our good is eternally secure in him, that is why we call even this good news. Do you believe that? Let's believe it together. Father God, we rejoice in your goodness to us. We acknowledge that there are profound difficulties in in discerning the, the right way forward.
especially in difficult times such as we find ourselves in presently. We, we acknowledge that, that good, godly, sincere men and women have, have disagreed on the answers, Father, but may we always understand that regardless of the difficulties in answering specific questions, it is always the glory of your name and obedience to your law that we are called to seek. Father God, give us steadfast hearts set free from the fear of man that we might pursue obedience to you in every situation, regardless of the temporal costs. Father, may we have the boldness to honor you as king. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.